In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. For those of you that are uh, members or regular attenders, you notice that uh, Jared Willett is now in a deacon's stole. Praise the Lord. He was ordained. Amen. And though he doesn't know it, because of the difficulty of the gospel passage, uh, Jared, uh, come on up here and I want you to go ahead and preach, if you would, real quick. (laughs) He is ready in season and out of season. Praise the Lord. Let me begin with a quote from our Lord Jesus Christ from the gospel according to St. John, the fifth chapter and the 39th verse. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful, Lord, that you have given us the Word, the canon of Scripture that testifies to that capital W, O-R-D, the incarnate Word, Jesus Himself. Father, forgive me. Forgive me and forgive us for acting as the Sadducees and so too causing a lack of faith in our lives, but not in ours only, but in those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, before I get to our text in the gospel um, message, I want to say that if you're a younger uh, child and you're with us, we have sermon notes out here. It's something we're doing now for our kiddos. I invite you to take those out and write uh, something down as you hear the word spoken to uh, you. There is an angst today in our culture with regard to faith. Now, some of you that are, are older, uh, though not immune to this, you might have not experienced it to the degree that those who are maybe 40 and under are experiencing it in today's culture. Uh, words like deconstruction are thrown around. Have you heard of this, this term, deconstructing one's, one's faith? Asking uh, questions about the faith. Asking deep questions, but asking them from the mode of a skeptic. Many times asking questions in bad faith. Let me begin with the story here. Um, When I was teaching uh, high school uh, several years ago, uh, we divided, it was at a small Christian school, and we we would often divide up sections of like the worldview and apologetics class that I taught into two sections. And it was always based on math. Who was in the advanced math? They, they put those kids, and I was never one of those, those kids. I was like doing geometry in college, barely. Um, but we would always divide them up into two sections, okay? And I remember on the same day getting the same question from two different kids. And it was this question. I'm sure you've heard of it. So, uh, Coach Novo, as I was called then, uh, please don't call me that. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, you can Novotny was too tough to say. So Coach Novo, they, 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 these two kids, would ask the, they asked this question the same day. Coach Novo, um, could God uh, create a rock so big that he couldn't lift it, couldn't pick it up? But there, there was a difference, though, in the tone and in, 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 in the question of each kid. 
One kid was asking the question in this, do you, really, do you think God could create a rock so big that, that he couldn't lift it? Huh? Like, give me the answer to that. I dare you. You can't, can you? This question, not in good faith, not in necessarily seeking truth, right, but, but, a, but a place of, of ego and of pride, and the other really wrestling with the depths of faith, saying, you know, Coach Novo, um, could in fact God create a rock so big that he, that he couldn't lift it? I, I need some help. I, I want to know. And we see here in our text, in the gospel, in Luke chapter 20, beginning in the 27th uh, verse, and I encourage you to turn there, the Sadducees begin with a question in bad faith to our Lord, trying to trip him up, trying to show that he doesn't in fact uh, know what he is talking about. So verse 27 says this, and I do invite you um, to open the Word of God, and there's one in front of you. If you don't have one on your own, you can share with others if you need to. Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. Verse 27 says, says this, There came to him, that is Jesus, some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. Those who deny that there is a resurrection. Let me stop there and tell you a little bit about the Sadducees because this is going to, I think, be very helpful in us realizing that so often we find ourselves like the Sadducees, actually. And I find myself like the Sadducees. And when we find ourselves in that vein, our faith is weakened, and not only our faith, but those around us. So what about the Sadducees? Who, who were they? Well, the Sadducees don't make many appearances in the Gospels. They only appear a few times. And that word Sadducee, most scholars think that it goes back to the name Zadok, who served as a high priest in Jerusalem under King Solomon. You might remember uh, this. And in Ezekiel chapter 40, we learn a little bit more about the priest Zadok, his high priest. It tells us that his descendants were from then on granted exclusive rights to minister in Jerusalem, okay, to minister in Jerusalem, to be kind of a, a, a priestly, quasi-priestly class in Jerusalem. And in Jesus' day, they existed and were doing that. And in Jesus' time, the Sadducees had become really the upper crust of society. They were um, the kind of Jewish um, socialite elites of the time. The Sadducees, not all of them were priests, some of them were, but they had great wealth. They were seen as the kind of political, um, oh, uh, like in-between um, uh, communicators between the Jewish people and Rome, and because of this, they were despised. And many of the Sadducees who had great wealth and great favor with Rome kind of held this against the people, the commoners that were below them, kind of very arrogant, many of the Sadducees, this upper crust of Jewish uh, society, a political interest group, if you will, there in Rome. But you see, there's an interesting thing about the Sadducees that, that um, we, we often forget or you might not know. The Sadducees were very um, meticulous when it came to the Torah. Okay, and the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books. They were very literal in their interpretation, and they said, look, anything beyond these five books, we, we will never never received. So they were, in a way, very, um, uh, quote-unquote, like, uh, conservative is, is a bad term, but they were conservative when it comes to their view of the Torah. They were very, 
very conservative. And their interpretation of those books and anything outside of them, including the minor and major prophets, including the historical books, had nothing in their mind to say about what Jewish people ought to believe. Now, the Pharisees, in contrast to the Sadducees, the Pharisees were the blue-collar um, uh, folk of the day. They were educated, yes, but they were blue-collar. They, they wanted the people of God to draw near to God in many cases, but as we know through our Lord's interaction with the Pharisees, that they often kind of got this, the snooty, though they didn't have the money of the Sadducees, they got this very snooty, like looking down on the people of God. But overall, the Pharisees were loved by the people in comparison to the Sadducees. And we learn a little bit about the Sadducees in Acts chapter 23. Acts 23, 6-8 says this about um, the, uh, the Sadducees. Now when Paul perceived that one part in his audience that he was talking to were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council. This is St. Paul. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial here. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, a dissension, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Some important theological differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The old joke is, um, and it's really, really corny, forgive me, but it's a pretty good one. You know why the, the Sadducees are, are sad, you see? It's because they don't believe in the resurrection. But that's an important fact, a really important fact. Because you see, the Sadducees with their, with their social status, with their money, and with the, their really, really meticulous, literal interpretation of the Torah, they believed that they needed nothing else. They had it all in line. We've got the right interpretation here. Matter of fact, we're pretty good with Rome. We're actually able to, to afford some nice meals, and we're kind of doing our own thing. We have it all, we've got our own little system here, and it's, it's all that we need. And so it's out of that spirit, actually, that they engage with our Lord. Not in good faith, not, okay, the resurrection, tell us more about it. Like, if, if there is um, you know, a, a man who marries a woman and then he dies and his brothers, according to the Leverite marriage law in the Old Testament, marry to kind of redeem her, right? Um, and then to have children, if all seven of these die, including her, like, who will she be married to in the afterlife? They're not asking that in good faith. They're asking it to trip him up. They're asking it to show that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And what does our Lord do with his response, with his teaching, really with his interpretation here? He does two important things. He gives us an insight into what the resurrected life is going to be like. And then even more important than that, he says, you know what? If you really read the Torah, if you, really, if you read Moses, if you read as we see here what he's quoting, Exodus chapter 3, carefully, the resurrection is there. So the narrative goes on in verse uh, 28, by the way, and let me say that all of this is occurring near in the temple courts. Verse 28, and the the Sadducees ask him a question saying, "Uh, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. 
Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. And after the word the woman uh, uh, died, so then um, for the seven had uh, her as, as a wife. Getting at this quote-unquote kind of contradiction in the belief in the resurrection, a question in bad faith. And Jesus replies to them, and brothers and sisters, we can see a bit about the afterlife here, and I don't want to rush over this, but he says this, our Lord in verse 34, the sons of this age, okay, the age right now, the age even that we're living in, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain that age or to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. I want to pause here and say this, that we believe as Christians that there will not, in fact, be uh, marriage in heaven because, unfortunately, the, the church has forgotten uh, the logic here, but, but marriage is given first and foremost for procreation. We won't have procreation in heaven and I remember um, when I was younger, it was like, okay, yeah, so what? Like, we're not going to be married in heaven. Like, what's, what's the big deal, you know? And then, then I get married, and I'm like finding myself like, like in tears. Like, I love my wife. She loves me. Like, I don't not want to be married in heaven. Has, has anyone ever, ever felt that, you know? You, f- you feel that. And you're like, I want to be married. Well, well here's the thing. This resurrected life, this eternal life, that's not just this pie in the sky, you know, that we just get up there and everything's just going to be great and we're just, who cares about this world? No, no, no. The new heavens and the new earth, the eternal life that is lived in Christ will include everything that we loved and the joy about being loved by another in this life. It's going to be there in that life to come, both with all the saints and with the Lord himself, and with the blessed Trinity, that love. So if, if this passage bothers you, and you, you're like, I want, let me remind you that all the joys and the beauty of marriage in this life is in fact a sign of what's to come in the future, and how glorious and wonderful that is, that we will experience that in the life to come. There is no need, in fact, uh, for marriage because we will no longer die, and marriage itself which is given for the procreation first of children and then enjoyment and joy, will not be needed with the new heaven and the new earth. But then our Lord goes on to say something else in verse 37, and please follow along here with me. Jesus says, he's basically done with that. He's like, okay, you're not going to be, not gonna be married, so the question is irrelevant in some ways. But then he goes on to say this, but that the dead are raised, let me address you, Sadducees. For even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. There were a few of you that were here on All Saints Day as we celebrated that feast day in this nave on November 1st, a few days ago. And we're reminded that though we pass through death as believers, death is not the, ex- the extinguishing of our existence Matter of fact, it's a gateway that we pass through into that blessed eternal life to come. And that God is the God of the living and that God did not, um, or Moses did not say back, you know, or actually God to Moses that, well, I'm the God of, 
Abraham who died and Isaac who died, you know, um, and Jacob who died, and let's just kind of try to keep this thing going, but I'll be the God of all those people who die. No. Um, matter of fact, he is the God of the living. Those that have died in him are alive even now. What a wonderful hope that we have in that resurrection. You know, as Sarah read that passage from Job, that passage is actually in our funeral liturgy. It's in our funeral liturgy. Because the resurrected life is a life that we participate in through Jesus Christ. And what a glorious thing. But Jesus corrects the Sadducees' error in their theology, error in their strict literalism about the Torah. You see, he could have went to the prophets. He could have went to Daniel chapter 12, which mentions the afterlife. Or Isaiah, who mentions, you know, um, uh, dead uh, men and women being raised. Or even Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. He could have done all of these things but he goes to the Torah to address them head on. You know, I started with this text, John chapter 5, 39. Let me read it again. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Brothers and sisters, we too often are guilty as being like the Sadducees. Yes, like we may know God's Word. We may, as he says here, search the Scriptures, know the Scriptures, but we actually have no communion with Jesus Himself. We know about Him. We do not actually know Him. And so often when I hear of people that have, that have left the faith, and I don't mean... I don't mean questions about faith that, um, that are questions in good faith, right? Like, I want to believe, but Lord, help my, my unbelief. Those are, those are wonderful questions, and we in the church, we address those. We pray with one another through those questions. But we cannot become the Sadducees who, in fact, quote-unquote, know the Word of God, but miss the one whom it is pointing to. For those that have come to me over the years and struggled with faith, some with good faith and some actually with not, not good intentions with it. They're, they're kind of mad at God because of maybe the way that they were raised in the church or some of the things and the sins of the church. And they've kind of said, well, you answer this for me. In the vein of the Sadducees, what is the best anecdote to that, brothers and sisters? Well, let me tell you, the best anecdote to that is to seek the face of our Lord in prayer and in the word that He has given us and with service to others. For in those three things, our faith is rekindled, rekindled in many ways. So, um, let me ask a few questions here. Do we, as individual Christians and then as a parish, do we have a high view of the Scriptures as the Sadducees and a high view of Orthodox theology without actually knowing Jesus Himself? Do we have a high view of Scripture and of Orthodox theology without knowing Jesus Himself? I've seen several throughout my lifetime that have gone to seminary, for instance, to study the Word of God, to study the languages, to study all these things. And they, they study and they study and they know Scripture, as it were, but they have no real communion with Jesus Himself and that faith begins to unravel because we cannot just know the Scriptures without knowing Him. The Scriptures point to Him. 
Another question, are we trying to uphold our faith in such a way without following our Lord? Again, maybe we know Him, but we don't follow Him. So the Sadducees are only recorded in the Scripture a few times, as I mentioned, as interacting with Jesus. So it seems that they were really far off with their own questions and only a couple times came to Him. They weren't with Him. And, and I was reminded as I was prepping for this sermon that, that this, is in fact, um, this is in fact so different than the Nicodemus. Do you remember the Pharisee? Because what did Nicodemus do? Yes, he had his doubts and concerns about Jesus being the Messiah, but what did Nicodemus actually do? He went to our Lord by night to commune to, with Him, to listen to Him. And then we know later on in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus doesn't come to Him um, by, by night any longer. He comes to Him where? When? Out in the day, in the daylight, to our Lord. So, brothers and sisters, um, read the Word of God and pray. Read the Word of God with one another. Pray with one another. Serve real human beings in the love of Christ as we're called to do. And I promise then all the, um, all the theological knowledge you know, all those things will not in fact bring you to questions in bad faith, but maybe questions in good faith. Because I've seen time and time again that when people who are struggling with the faith make space and time to commune with God through reading the Word, through praying with one another, and through serving others, that they, they are then able to return to the teachings of the church, not with skepticism, but in belief. Finally, this we see in closing in verses 39 and 40, that the scribes react in a different way. It says, at the very end of all of this exchange, some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. Let me say this. Come with your questions of faith, in good faith. Bring them to the Lord. But don't do so without following him. Listen to the word of God and read it. Get it deep in your bones so that you and I at the end of the day will be able to say as the scribes did, Teacher, you have spoken well. But brothers and sisters, they could only say that because they had listened to the answer that the Lord gave to those that were there to listen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.